You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's Christmas time. I want to get into my first ever Christmas series at Harvest Niagara. Not your first ever Christmas series, my first one with you. I love Christmas. I love all the sentimental uh, things about it. I love the lights of the trees. I love, I don't like parades, but I do. I like the gatherings and I like the food and I like, you know, like all the stuff you're not supposed to like about Christmas. I, full confession, I like those things. But the thing that I like most about Christmas, the thing that I love most about Christmas, is the opportunity that we've got to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's a time of year in which, in which whether you're a believer or not, there's some talk, there's some excitement around a holiday that is really all about the coming of the Son of God into the world. And so to me, it just seems like I love it for, for that reason especially. And so as I get to preach uh, sermons up on the Christmas theme, excites me and encourages me as I go. So I, I'm excited about getting going on this. Now, what I want to do with you is this. I want to do a little a two-part series this week and Lord willing next week that's going to focus on two key people in the Christian narrative. One was named Joseph. And one was Mary. Now, don't get me wrong. The main person in the whole narrative is Jesus himself. But you'll see where I'm going with this. Joseph and Mary. And the title of this little series is called An Unexpected Christmas. Trusting God when life doesn't go as planned. wonder how your life is going. How do you do it trusting God when life doesn't, does not go as planned. You know, we've, we've heard it said that in life we can expect the unexpected. wonder how you do with that. You know, in other words, you know, don't be surprised by the fact that you'll often be surprised. Well, as Christians, we, we have, the wonderful truth is that we have a God that we can trust in as we go through unexpected times. But trusting God and exercising faith in Him can be a real test when things don't go the way we expect that they would. I mean, sometimes the unexpected is a good thing. I mean, who doesn't love a pleasant surprise? Oh, look, money that just appeared in this envelope, or a, a breakthrough, or a new friendship, or a new love, or I didn't see this coming, but it's good. I mean, who doesn't love a pleasant surprise? But many times, the things that we never expected are also the things that we never wanted. An unexpected bill, an unexpected termination. An unexpected conflict, an unexpected breakup, an unexpected demotion, an unexpected diagnosis. This Christmas, many of you find yourselves in situations you didn't anticipate and you didn't ask for. But God has you where he has you. And you're wondering what to do. Or maybe if it's not you... It's somebody you love is in that place, and you want to be able to minister to them and help them navigate through this. And you're wondering, for their sake, what do you do? What do you do when life doesn't go as planned? Well, if that's where you are, where you find yourself this Christmas, then you might find it interesting to know 
that the people involved in the first Christmas had the very same issue. To be sure, the Old Testament prophesied quite clearly and powerfully about the coming of Christ Jesus into the world. There was an indeed an expectation that one day Messiah would come. But when you read the New Testament narrative about the birth of Christ, you can see that the people involved in that narrative didn't see it coming, certainly didn't see themselves in the middle of it. But this was especially true for a young engaged couple named Joseph and Mary. They were happily preparing, I assume, happily preparing for marriage, expecting, expecting to lead a, a quiet, humble life together, expecting probably to run a quiet, humble family business together, expecting to raise some ordinary kids. But God had other plans, drastically different plans. And what unfolded in their lives that first Christmas is something they never, ever anticipated. They never imagined happening to them. When Mary and Joseph were told that Mary would give birth to the Christ, their lives got flipped right upside down. Do you know something about that, about your life getting flipped upside down or tilted on its side? Well, Mary and Joseph did. And to be sure, there was a sense of deep joy, and there was a deep joy in this. But let's not kid ourselves. When we read their story, we find there was also immense difficulty that came because of God's unexpected plans. Mary and Joseph knew all about the unexpected. Yet, what we see when we read the New Testament narrative is we see these real flesh and blood people, just like you and me, trusting God and showing forth the greatness of His grace toward people who love Him when they go through the unexpected. So we might want to ask then, like, how did they do that? how they do that? Or more to the point, how do we do it? How do we exercise faith in God when life does not go as planned? What do you do when you face the unexpected? And the unexpected isn't what you wanted or what you dreamt of. Well, that's what this teaching series is all about. Lord willing, today and next week, and uh, we're at the, the unexpected Christmas. So we're going to look at the narrative about, uh, around Mary, finding out about the, the forthcoming birth of Christ. And then we'll read the narrative and study the narrative of Joseph, uh, finding about the, the forthcoming birth of Christ, and see, and see what we can learn here about trusting God through the unexpected. So let's start with mom, okay? Let's start with mother, Mother Mary, and, and the book of Luke. So if you've got a Bible with you, would you get that open, please, to the, the Gospel of Luke? And we're going to go to chapter 1. And our focus today will be verses 26 to 38, uh, an unexpected Christmas, trusting God when life doesn't go as planned. And we'll see here that for Mary, uh, this is, she was not expecting this. She wasn't expecting that she would be expecting. Now, here's the deal. When you come into the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, you got to understand, just, just the, it helps it to, to land on us, I think, appropriately to recognize a little bit of the context. It's been, in Israel, it's been 400 years since God has spoken. 400 years previous, he spoke through the prophet Malachi. And among other things, he reiterated a promise to Malachi for the nation of a coming Messiah, the Christ, who would come and save his people. And um, uh, so that was 400 years. Now, four, so four centuries have passed since God last spoke and reiterated this promise, and nothing's happened. Heaven has been silent. 
And his way leads on the way. And you can imagine there's sort of a, uh, there's expectation kind of wanes and there's maybe a, a discouragement over the land and over the people and a drifting. Well, here we've got a situation where for 400 years, God has said nothing. But here in Luke chapter 1, we see that the silence is broken. And is it ever broken? Is broken here with an unexpected visitor, with an unexpected announcement, to an unsuspecting woman. Notice verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Maybe you've heard of them, Joseph and Mary. Well, if you've heard of them now, remember in the context, nobody ever heard of them. <laughs> Who are they? They're just people, just, just like you and me, ordinary people, living life, loving God, and all of a sudden, the unexpected. Verse 28, and he came to her, this is the angel Gabriel, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she, verse 29, was greatly troubled at the saying. Yeah, I guess so. She was greatly troubled. Imagine yourself. I don't know what Mary was doing, where she was at the time. Maybe she's just around the house or working in the yard. I, I don't know where she is. But she, she's here. She's, she's doing whatever she's doing. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and says, greetings, O favored one. What did the angel look like? I don't know. But I know what he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, verse 29, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love this. She's doing the same thing that you would be doing, aside from running for your life. She's wondering, what is happening here? What is going on here? She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, I love it, he doesn't even stop. <laughs> you found favor with God. Here we go. You might want to sit down. Glass of water. And behold, I mean, he doesn't even do that, right? Just, just lays on the line. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Right? Don't bother with the baby book. It's already decided. And he will be, notice, great, and will be called the son of the most high. Of the most high. Now, Mary, she knew her Bible, she knew God. This, this is a big deal. Son of the Most High. This is speaking of deity, divinity. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, notice, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's... It's the Christ. It's the promised one. And Mary, you are going to give birth to him. <sighs> Didn't see that coming. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, this is a good question, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's trying to make sense of this. Like, how is God going to do this? I'm not married yet. What, how is, How? Verse 35, and the angel answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, this Christ is unique. He doesn't come by way of instrumentality of a man and a woman, but by work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's going to do it. It will be miraculous. It was a natural birth, but a miraculous conception. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, there's, there's no comment here on why, why the angel's saying this, but it seems that this is probably meant to be a sign and encouragement that God is at work here, a sign to Mary. And if we had been reading the, from the Gospel of Luke from the beginning, we would know the story how this, Gabriel's been busy lately. He made another appearance to another family and announced another birth, namely of John the Baptist. And Elizabeth, who is Mary's relative, is pregnant with John the Baptist. But in this context, it seems to be a sign of encouragement, of affirmation that God's at work here. Verse 37, notice this one. You could put this, write this verse anywhere. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now look at Mary's response. You know, what, what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in the unexpected? Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. <laughs> so, loved ones, what do you do in the unexpected? Here's Mary, a poor peasant girl in a small town, loves God, figures on a life with Joseph, having a family, living a quiet life, and then in a matter of what? Two minutes? Two minutes, maybe? She finds out her life will not go as she planned. What do you do? Well, you start with this. Understand this. That God's plans for us are often not what we expect. Understand that. Get your mind around that. God's plans for us, for our life, is often not what we expect. Everybody's got expectations. Everybody's, you might call them dreams. What you dream, what you envision. Everybody's got expectations, even about their life, and how it will go, and what will happen. But the reality is, is that we find in Scripture again and again and again, and we see that here in our text today, that God's plans for us are often not what we expect. Do you know that God's got plans? He's got, he's got plans. He's got all kinds of plans. He's got plans for the world, for the nations. He's got plans for eternity. He's got plans for the glory of his son. He's got plans for the building of the church, for the advance of the gospel, for the consummation of all things, and... In the greatness of God and his majesty and his glory, he's got plans for you, for your life. The thing is, though, is that he often doesn't tell us the particulars of his, of his plans for our life. We only see them unfold. There's things that God declares to us and shows us in, scriptures that, in the scripture that we can anticipate. But when it comes to the particulars of our lives in terms of what's going to happen and, and, and the, the exact path that God will have for us to walk... He often doesn't show us, he just reveals it as it happens. In fact, Mary in some ways has a rare treat here where, where she's given an announcement from an angel, but this is uncommon. So often, how it works is it just happens. God's plans for us are often not what we expect. Now understand under this, that's, 
some of God's plans, many of God's plans are pleasant. They're, they're pleasant things. I mean, I mean there's, there's a pleasantness about this. I mean, Mary is going to have a son. That's broadly speaking, good news and, and, and well received. And it is a very positive thing. And he's going to be no ordinary son. I mean, he's, he's going to be great. I mean, I mean mom, imagine, imagine if there was a prophecy in the birthing suite where your son, your daughter is going to be great. They're going to be great, right? I mean, what glad tidings would that be? Wonderful. They're, they're going to be great. They're going to be son of the most high, this, this child will be. He will, be, he will reign forever. This, he's the long-expected Messiah that was said in the Old Testament to be a descendant of David, and he would sit on David's throne, and it's going to be Mary's son. There's a pleasantness about this. This is wonderful. This the reality is, is that some of God's plans are pleasant. It takes no convincing for us to see that this is so good, things that we're thankful for, that we wonder at God's kindness to us. Maybe it's acceptance in a school that you would want to get into, or the birth of a child, or a grandchild, or a new romance, or a ministry opportunity. There There are plans that God has for us that are pleasant. But also, there's plans that God has for us that are sometimes perplexing, it's those, those times when we, we don't understand. It's, we're trying to make sense of this. Like, why, God? What, why, what is your will in this? Why would you allow this? Perplexing. Even Mary was perplexed, right? If you look at verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be? How will this be? I, I, okay, I, I think I'm tracking with you, but I'm not understanding how this is going to take place and transpire. There's things that are hard for us to understand and to make sense of, things we can't get our mind around. What, what are you doing here, God? Some of God's plans are pleasant. Some of his plans are perplexing. Some of God's plans are painful. They're painful for us. We see this unfold in Mary and Joseph's life. There would be much pain in this path. Later in chapter 2, in verse 35, there was another prophecy made to, given to Mary about her son. It says in chapter 2 and verse 35, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, Mary. I think that's a, a prophecy about the death of Jesus. This moment of wonder about what God is doing would eventually give way to weeping and sorrow and the sheer agony of seeing her own son murdered publicly, bearing the brunt of our sin even more immediately, I mean, Mary and Joseph, after the birth of Christ, I mean, at the time of the birth of Christ, they'd be forced to go to Bethlehem, an unexpected journey to Bethlehem because of a government requirement. There's no room for them when they get there. And then after the child is born, they have to flee. They have to run for their lives to Egypt and lived as refugees. The first two years of his life, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, was a refugee in Egypt Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, acquainted with, it, with bitterest grief, the Bible says. Yes, he was loved, he was worshipped, but he was despised, and he was rejected, and he was killed. Some of God's plans are painful. Think about the pain that Mary is going to face along this path. Loved ones, that's, that's what the path is sometimes. Sometimes it is painful, and it's in those seasons when we often do wonder why. That often is the big test of our faith, is holding on to God and trusting in him when the unexpected is excruciating. But understand this, loved ones. 
Some of God's plans are pleasant, perplexing, painful, but all of God's plans are good. All of his plans are good. There's a verse that many of you know and love from Jeremiah chapter 29, written to exiled Israel facing down 70 years of exile in Babylon. And this is what God says to them. It was his discipline for them, for their sinfulness. But listen to what God says to them as they're going to go through a very hard journey. God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says, I've got plans for you. This plan that some of this path is going to be very painful. But the plan is ultimately really, truly good. All of God's plans are good. And even though there's times that we don't understand it, even though there's times when it hurts, we know that, that God is God and God is good. And as we trust him, he's got our ultimate good in view. Understand this about God. God is not a wedding planner. You know what a wedding planner is, right? Some of you, some of you have maybe had, hired a wedding planner at some point in your life. Wedding planners are wonderful. If you officiate weddings, it's awesome because they do like a ton of work organizing people and, you know, getting everybody. We're trying to organize people to rehearse a wedding. It's like herding cats. Get everybody together and, okay, let's get this thing. We got to do this right. Wedding planners do it for you. I love wedding planners. A wedding planner, what their job is basically is they want to take the dreams and the visions and the ambitions of the bride and groom for their big day and make it all happen. The wedding planner basically says, I'm here for you to do whatever it is that you want. That's a wedding planner. God is not a wedding planner. He's not orchestrating your life so it goes the way that you want. He's orchestrating your life so it goes the way that he wants that is better than anything you could ever want in the end. All of God's plans are good. I love Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. It's God's purpose. While God has plans for your life, he rarely shows us what they are ahead of time. And in the moment, there can be a mixed bag of pleasure, perplexity, pain. But it's always good, because God is God, and he's good. Let me ask you this, loved one, seriously. Are you okay with that? Like, are you okay with God being God and him having plans for your life and not the other way around. Are you okay with that? Yes, it might be harder, but I guarantee you, you trust him, it'll be better. That was the experience of Joseph and Mary. God's plans are often not what we expect. Make sure you know that. Make sure you know that whatever you're in right now, that loved one you want to minister to, you've got to remind them that. God's plans are often not what we expect. They're not. That brings the question of, okay, so what do I do about that? Okay, okay, so I should expect the unexpected. God is God, I am not. Okay, but what, how do I respond to that? How do I, more, more to the point, how do I exercise faith in God when my life doesn't go as planned? How, how do I trust him through the unexpected? What do I do? Well, I think Mary shows us in verse 38. Notice her attitude in her response. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am, notice, the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. 
When life doesn't go as planned, we exercise faith in God by taking on the attitude of a servant. That's what we do. We take on the attitude of a servant. We recognize what this relationship is. God is God, and I'm his servant. I'm here for him. My life is for him. That's what it is, right? As a follower of Jesus, you've died to self. You've, you've You've been buried with Christ, and you're raised to walk in newness of life, and it's a wonderful life. It's a better life than you would ever find anywhere else, certainly a better life you'd ever find in your own. And in this new life, though, there's a new relationship where you're under his lordship, under his lead, and he's in charge now, and you've given up control of your life to him, and he's in charge, he's ruling now. And, and my role now is as, as, as a servant. I'm here to do what he calls me to do, to live for him by faith. That was Mary's attitude. When life doesn't go as planned, we exercise faith in God by having the attitude of a servant. Mary here sees God as God. God is God, and herself, therefore, as his servant. The servant doesn't tell the master how it's going to go. No, 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 this isn't, this isn't, you don't understand, Gabriel. I know you hear the message from God, but I want you to take a message back to him and let him know he should have somebody else. Because this doesn't fit in with my five-year plan for my life. And, I mean, I don't know what the wedding planner is going to do. She's already got my dress fitted and everything. Like, it's just, no, this isn't going to work. She doesn't, doesn't take that attitude, does she? Understand, loved ones, that in the Christian life, this isn't a democracy. We don't all get a say, this isn't Burger King, it's not my way right away. In fact, there's, there's this, there is this hole-in-the-wall restaurant in my hometown in Peterborough, and you walk in there, and it wasn't too hole-in-the-wall for me, I kind of like it, but I go in there, and there's a sign on the wall behind the counter, and it says, this isn't, this isn't Burger King, you get it my way or you don't get anything. You get it my way, or you don't get anything. Well, that can preach, maybe with a little bit of a different tone. We don't get a say. Notice Gabriel doesn't say, now Mary, I'm here with an idea to consult. You let me know what you think, and I'll take it back to God, and you know, we'll do a Zoom call this time next week and sort this out. Right? doesn't say that. Are you comfortable with this? Like, will this be okay with you? It doesn't say that. God doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't deal like that because he's God. No, the angel just shows up and announces. And Mary is, it's, it's, it's astonishing. Mary is not deliberating how she'll respond. I mean, she's, yeah, she's shocked, she's scared, she's trying to piece this all together, but her attitude is stunning. If this is what God wants, then I'm in. She's not deliberating how she responds. She's, I love it too because in a sense, like she's not deciding even on the spot. The way she says it leads me to believe that the decision's already been made in her heart. Not about what she's going to do in this particular call, but she's already made up her mind about how she's going to relate to God, whatever he wants. And that's what a Christian does. That's what a follower of Jesus does. Lord Jesus I'm in for you, and whatever you want, I want you to know that before I even know what you're calling me to, the answer is already yes. I'm in already. You just say it. You've already got my answer. That, that's, that's Mary's attitude. Let it, verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. Will this be costly? Will this be risky? 
Will there be heartache and heartbreak? Yes, there will be. But is God God? Am I his servant? Mary's given a glorious assignment here. Let's make no mistake about it. It's a huge honor. But with it will come trial and trouble and tragedy. But as God's servant, she was in regardless of what God asked of her. And I wonder, is that, is that your attitude? Because that's what you do when life doesn't go as planned. You take on the attitude of a servant. And think about it, loved ones. Think about this. Think about what God, do, what God does in and through a person who has that kind of attitude. Think about, what Mary, what, think about the ministry of Mary in her day and even beyond, even to us. It's astonishing. There's a couple that I know of. I don't know them, but I know of them. Named Ramaz and Rebecca Atala. Ramaz and Rebecca Atala. Now, I heard a number of years ago, I heard Ramaz speak. I said Ramaz, it's Ramaz. Ramaz and Rebecca Atala. I heard Ramaz speak at a conference. And uh, he, is, he heads up the Egyptian Bible Society in Egypt, of all places, right? In Egypt. And um, it's a remarkable ministry, because if you know anything about, about evangelism and gospel ministry in Egypt, is it's not easy. In fact, it's very difficult. There's many regulations and pressures that stand against them. But they've had a remarkable, remarkable ministry. Not only Ramez, but also Rebecca. Rebecca has, uh, has carved out a ministry for herself and having astonishing ministry amongst the poorest of the poor who live just outside of Cairo. They're known as the garbage people. I'm just going to read to you the, uh, part of a little article that I found a while back that talks a bit about their ministry. It says, the heading of the article says, while he revolutionized Bible missions in Egypt, she became Mother Teresa to the untouchables of Garbage City outside of Cairo. The husband and wife team of Ramez and Rebecca Atala allow God to inspire them to help people know God better and express Jesus' love in Cairo. Ramez was born in Egypt. He immigrated to Canada as a child in the 1960s. In 1980, the couple took their children to move from Montreal to Egypt. Since 1990, Ramez has headed up the Bible Society of Egypt. His desire was to see the scriptures become relevant for Egyptian Christians, so he began finding new formats and styles in which to present God's word. And I just want to say that the work of the Egyptian Bible Society is just amazing. They have distributed thousands and thousands of copies of the scriptures in a land where you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> amazing. Rebecca is a key worker at St. Simon Coptic Orthodox Church in, Makatam, in the Makatam Garbage Village. Over the last 25 years, she has helped with, the church, with church planning and providing Christian education among the lowest of the low, Egypt's untouchables. Her gentle and compassionate way of ministering and befriending people has helped hundreds of untouchables realize their potential and value in God. Villagers in this garbage city, villagers collect garbage from city apartments and recycle it. They're not paid by the government. However, they receive small tips from the people whose garbage they collect. The rest of their income comes from recycling the garbage. Many of the villagers feed most of their organic garbage to their pigs, indicating that they're at least nominal Christians. Muslims will not have anything to do with pigs. While this means the villagers are a despised minority, it also means that there are various freedoms in the garbage village that we don't have elsewhere, Rebecca says. 
we can meet openly as we assume everybody's a Christian. We can say things without being accused of evangelizing. The pastor who oversees Rebecca's work moved to this region 30 years ago. He gave up his job in the city to become an ordained priest in the garbage village. When he began, the village had no churches, no schools, no electricity, no water, no medical care, no markets. It was just garbage, people, and pigs. When thousands were brought to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing they wanted to do was build a church. Today, the garbage collectors are filled with the love and motivation that comes from God, and this is what changed their village. The village is a bustling, hopeful community of 30,000 people. They still collect garbage. However, they now have three schools, a hospital, and many churches. <laughs> Here's the thing. The church that they are involved in, the, the, the main church, we'll call it, meets in a huge cave. And now there are about 15,000 people who attend. It is one of the largest churches in that part of the world. And I just think about, here's Ramez and Rebecca, two ordinary people, come here to Canada, get a vision from God, a burden from God to go back to Egypt, and they do it as servants. And look what God is doing. Look what God is, it's astonishing, astonishing what God is doing God does great things through people whose mindset and attitude is that of a servant. Look at the ministry of Mary. Look at the ministry of Ramez and Rebecca. And look at your own life. Ask yourself this, what opportunities might God afford me as I embrace this attitude of a servant? I think that many church-attending people miss out on so much because their commitment to God is piecemeal. It's like, well, God, I'm in, I'm in here, and okay, I'll come to church, and I'll give some, and, and I'll maybe volunteer here or there, and that's good. That is good. I don't want to discourage you in that. I don't want to minimize that at all. But sometimes, though, we find ourselves saying, okay, I will, I will serve you, God, but there's certain parts of my life in which I will not serve you. I will serve myself because I want to call the shots. And what I'm saying is, is that I think so many of us miss out on so much because our commitment to God is, is piecemeal. I'll live for you, God, as long as I judge that you're for me. But when you go all in, when you go all in like Mary, like, here's all my chips, here's all of me, you can take it, it's, I'm your servant, whatever you have for me, I'm in. When you go all in, you experience something of God and his power and his presence and his providence in ways you never imagined possible. And he does things in you and through you that could blow your mind. There's no telling what God might do in your life and through your life when you commit yourself to him as a servant. So will you do that even afresh today? To say, Lord, what I'm seeing here in Mary, that's, that's me too. And yeah, I'm in it. I'm a little afraid. But that's exactly what I want because I'd rather, I'd rather have you and your will in my life than to be held back by my fears or uncertainties. I'm a servant, Lord. I'm your servant. Now you hear that and some of you are fired up and you're ready to go. You've already, you're not even listening to me anymore. You're already praying, making that commitment to God and bless you for it. You go. You can just quit listening to me right now and talk to God. But my guess is that there's some of you that hear this and think, Man, I so want that, but I don't trust myself. 
Like, I want that, and I've had times, this isn't the first time I've wanted that. This isn't the first time I've come up to saying, God, I'm all in to serve you. But I just can't seem to keep it and to keep at it and to do it. I just, I don't know that I have it in me. I mean, I'm not Mary. You're right, you're not. And if you want the brutal, honest truth, you don't have it in you on your own. If you're not sure you can do it in your strength, let me just solve the puzzle for you. You can't do it in your own strength. The truth is, is that Mary didn't have it either. You're like, what? What? It's right here in the text. Yeah, I know. It's right there in the text. But look what else is there in the text. Go back to verse 28. The angel says, Gabriel says, that he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Some of you maybe come from a tradition where this might sound more familiar. Hail Mary, full of grace. Now, I don't come from the background to know what is meant by that. But I've done my homework, and I'll tell you what's meant by this in the text. It's not a, hey, how are you, sort of a greeting. There's meaning here. Greetings, oh, favored one. Favored by who? By God. Why? Because of her own merits? Was God surveying the earth and saying, oh, now she's got zest. She's got zeal. She's got perseverance. She's the one. Is that, is that how it all went down? I don't think exactly. Greetings, oh, favored one. Notice, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Greetings, oh, favored one. The Lord is with you. What, what we see here is that Mary is in this position. She's got this attitude of a servant. Yes, she does, and full on, and she's, she's a willing participant, and, and of, she's got full volition here to say, I'm the Lord's servant. But that servant attitude, that desire didn't originate with her. It came from God. It came from outside of her. That's what it means. The Lord is with you, O favored one. There's, there's grace here. In fact, that's the notion here, uh, that there is, there is grace from, from God here in her, her life. Greetings, O favored one. There's, God has grace toward you and grace for you. The Lord is with you. He's with you. He, he's the one that is producing those kinds of desires. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I can't wait to the new year, Lord willing, when I get to preach it, okay? In Philippians 2 and verse 13, it says this. Well, verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like a tough verse, like work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, I love that verse. Love it. Because it reminds me that the Christian life is not lived on my willpower or my strength, but by the grace of God. He gives me the power to live for him and he gives me the want to live for him. I just wrecked it. I just preached that sermon already. So it's okay to preach it when we get the new year? Okay. That's what we see here. It's, it's God who's worked in here, in, in her. It, there's, there's gift here. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Make a note of this. Having the attitude of a servant is a grace gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. You say, How, Ross... I don't think I can have, I don't think I can make myself think this way or feel this way. You're right, you can't. But God can. He can. And he does. <laughs> and you can see here he did. You know what a gift is, right? 
You know what a gift is? Yeah, you better, it's Christmas time. Your family's counting on you. Your friends. They know what a gift is. We give gifts at Christmas. A couple years ago, my aunt gave me, <laughs> she gave me a toilet brush holder and a happy 50th birthday coffee mug. I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> a toilet brush holder. I love it. It's one of my favorite gifts. <laughs> because it's from my aunt, and she's just hilarious. I use both, by the way, too. <laughs> Somebody said something funny there. I missed it. Hopefully separately. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, I'm already out of time. I can't go further on that. You know what a gift is. Well, Mary's attitude came to her ultimately from God as gift. From the Lord. The Lord is with you. Where do I get this attitude of a servant? Where do I get the faith to say yes? Regardless of what it is, yes. When my trembling heart wants to say no, where do I get that? I get it from God. This isn't a passive thing. It's not a passive thing on our part. Mary loved God and sought after him. Right? So the, the, the application isn't go home, crack a bag of cheesies, put your feet up, and God will come and, and work this in your heart. But the message also isn't that it's all on you because it's not. God will work it in you. Mary sought after him. She loved him, and God produced that. And God is able to do in you and for you what no pastor can do, what no parent can do, what no teacher can do, what no friend can do. He can give you, listen, a new heart and a new mind. And by the way, dear loved one, that's at the heart of the gospel. That's at the heart of the Christian message. If you are trying to understand the Christian message, understand that when we talk about being saved, when we talk about coming to know Jesus, we are talking about a supernatural transaction where God gives you a new heart and a new mind that changes you on the inside to make you new. That's what saves us. It's God. Our salvation through and through is a gift, and so also is our service. So it's not a matter of us earning, but humbly receiving from the true source. So, dear Christian, what do you do then in the midst of this? You say, okay, I, I want this attitude that Mary's got. I would say, pray for it. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you to do this in me because I can't do it. I can't. And maybe you'd even admit you've tried. If it's up to me, Lord, I, I won't respond this way. But I rejoice that it's not up to me. I rejoice that you work this in me. And so I'm asking you for this grace gift in my life to have the attitude of a servant. Loved ones, God's plans for us are not, often not what we expect. When life doesn't go as we expect, what do we do? We exercise faith in God by taking on the attitude of a servant, understanding that that very attitude itself is a gift from God. So we pray by faith today, Lord, I am your servant. In your providence, why don't we just pray this right? Let's just pray this. Father, in your providence, you have your people where they are right now. And for some of them here today, Lord, it's not what they asked for. It's not what they wanted. But it's what you've called them to. I pray, Lord, that you give them comfort where there's comfort needed. 
but also that you'd move us to pray, move us to trust. Give to your church, to your people today, faith to say, just like Mary, behold, I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Father, behold, we are your servants. We pray that our lives would be according, lived according to your will, according to your word. You are for us, and you have done for us in Christ everything that we need and everything we could ever want. So here we are, Lord. Here we are. We offer ourselves to you on this, this altar, as it were, before us today. We offer ourselves to you, this prayer of commitment that we are your servants. Lord, do in us what needs to be done. Work in our will, work in our minds, Lord. Produce in us desires not natural to ourselves to trust you and to obey you. Lord, we are your servants. Give us grace to serve you even today, even this week. And Lord, when the unexpected comes, God forbid that we would blame you or turn for you or run from you, but rather that we would trust you, knowing that you are God and you are good. We pray for this, Lord, and we ask it in Jesus' name.